my number one client, uh, not too long ago. And I got to thank you for helping me as I thought through this, um, made a inequity uh, offer. And so I'm part owner in a defense company, a small business uh, out of Denver and doing some absolutely amazing things with an amazing team of entrepreneurs. Uh, we're in the counter drone as well as uh, helmet mounted displays and optics business. And so uh, we've got, again, the real estate company, we've got the McClendon Roy, and then, and now you're Tony uh, Stark on top of all that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, and, and I'm blessed to be the chief procurement officer for light eye systems. Yeah. And so, uh, it, it is just, it, it keeps me busy. And, uh, but I tell you, man, it is, it, it's just every single turn. It's, it keeps me busy, but it also keeps me engaged. It keeps me learning. And, uh, it, Every single day is different, man. Very nice. And y'all see how he slid by that Tony Stark comment. So, you know, if you see yeah. a, a brother in a, in a in a metal suit flying around your neighborhood, it's probably J. Rowan yeah. coming through. Yeah. Welcome to the Breaking the Glass show with TQ Sinkungu. Together, we'll dig inside the success stories of people of color and share those stories to inspire you. Then we'll break down their path to show you what they did so you can learn from their wisdom and follow in their footsteps. Welcome to episode 26, the second part of my interview with Jamie Rohn. In the last episode, we heard about Jamie's early life and his successes through his Air Force officer career, as well as the beginning of his life as an entrepreneur. This week, you'll learn more about his new and growing business as a consultant in the world of government procurement. You'll hear about how he started and how he built his business, as well as some good advice if you plan to do the same thing. There's also an excellent portion and a great lesson on his highly effective networking skills that he's used to build allies to support his business and to learn from mentors who have developed him as a person, a man, as in a professional. Then Jamie's going to talk about his other business interests and how he productively keeps it all together. Spoiler alert, beside every great man is a great woman. So let's just get right to it and the second part of my conversation with Jamie Rome, And we'll jump right back in where he starts off talking about some of the early successes that he's had in his company. Since our launch, uh, we have helped companies. Oh, Lord, I think we're up to. Uh, and again, we're a small part of helping these companies win. Uh, 30, $30 million. Yeah. Uh, uh, in terms of, of, of contracts awarded. Contracts awarded. Wow. And, and, and that's just so, wait. that's just like in a little over a year, a year and a month. Wow. So, so in a year yeah. and a month, you, you saw a need that people needed help getting awarded contracts. And in that year of just from a standing start, you've helped get over $30 million worth of contracts awarded. Correct. Wow. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now my wife will tell you that is not $30 million to our bank account. Um, but, uh, but yeah, to be a small, again, fly on the wall, you know, it's, it's been, I've been blessed to be a fly on the wall, but to be on some of the good walls, you know, and, um, be a small part of, of these teams that are, that are doing this. Well, I think, and I don't, so I I know you're a humble person and, but I want to kind of make it clear for the folks who are listening, you say you're a fly on the wall. But in a way, you're like that call that the general made to find this captain at the last minute. When he shows up to that that hearing, he's got to sound good. And 
without that captain's piece of information, he wouldn't have been as successful in his confirmation hearing. Some of these companies without you as their, you're saying fly on the wall, I'll say it's like a whispering voice in their ear to help them understand the process. They may not have gotten awarded together all these $30 million worth of contracts. Is that a fair assessment? It is. Yeah, I think it is. And, and you know, my, my famous saying is that, you know, I'm gray. I'm just that guy in the, I'm, I'm like Wonder Woman's jet, man. You, you can't see it, but you know, he's there. It's right. there. And, uh, my clients know where I am. Um, and, uh, I'm that little voice that just whispers or text messages them. Hey, you may want to ask about this. Hey, it worked well with the chief and it, it's working great with my clients now. Um, I mean, I, I don't need the limelight, not interested in it. Um, I mean, how many times do you ask me to do your podcast, you know? Yeah. And, um, but it's, it's, as you said to me, and that's the reason I'm here today is it's, it's a story. It's a story to share. And if it can help one or two other people, I'll take it. So tell me, starting a small business, what do you think are some key skills having done it pretty successfully, you know, over just this first early part of your time? What are some key skills that you had that make you successful that someone would need to be successful starting a small business as you have? Uh, it, it, it takes capital, uh, number one. Uh, maybe I should start with the fact of you got to have a vision for me, vision of God, and you've got to believe that you can do it. So it starts just like my academic career and academic advice. You got to start back to you got to believe in yourself that you can do it. Um, <clears throat> number two, it takes capital. Uh, again, being debt free, having real estate income and whatnot, I didn't believe in taking a small business loan. So I basically self-funded in my last few years of the military, a line of credit bank account, savings account that would cover me for at least a year or two of expenses. And when you say you self-funded, you mean you saved up a bunch of money to, in order to, you wouldn't take a loan from the bank. You basically were going to spend your own money. And when you say capital, you mean money to get yeah. things started. Oh, absolutely. You know, like some people, when you invest, you'll take X percent of your paycheck and you'll buy Apple stock or those kind of things. Right. I literally had created an LLC two, two, three years before I retired. And I literally invested X percent. And I view that money as an investment into McClinton and Roy LLC. Right. For three to four years of just investing right. into, into myself so that when I started this company, I would have enough money to pay the either employees or subcontractors that I brought on my team and uh, would have enough money that if I had some downtime, if it took two, you know, two, three, six months a year to actually get some steady clients, that I would have enough money to eat. Right. Yeah. A lot of and people that leave that people, part out. Oh, yeah. Eating is it, it, it ranks up there. Yeah. And having and, the money set aside to do it as opposed to you may got, have gotten nervous and had to go take a job. Oh, exactly. Right. Kept running your company. Exactly. Or or debt. You know, some people finance small businesses with debt and no judgment zone. Uh, it just that's that wasn't the option for me. Yeah. And so it gave me options that when I, I was able to, with confidence, turn down jobs. Yeah. And uh, people say, hey, I want you on our team. And so. And and that, this is also where that having that retirement and real estate income, did, did that help with making you a little bit more, have less pressure to be able to oh, succeed? It, it absolutely does. It's all, it's all risk management, you know, it's so that deferred <clears throat> or eliminated a, a degree of risk, realizing that, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say a minimalist, but I can, I can live on less than the average bear and realize that. 
I can, between my retirement, my real estate and the money I've saved, I'm good for the next year and a half to two years. And then I have that confidence and belief that I may not know what I'm going to do today or tomorrow, but right. within the next couple of years, I think I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Well, and it so, gives you breathing room. So you said you figured it out. What are some of the key things that it takes? How do you actually start your own business? Um, you know, you put together an LLC. What are some of the other things that are really key in laying the foundation for running your own business? You develop a list of, you know, everybody talks about a business plan, right? My business plan is a one pager. Yeah. Um, I don't spend too much time on that. <clears throat> what is the vision, mission? How are you going to get organized? Go. Uh, and then you start identifying people who have done it successfully. Okay. And you go sit down with those people. Um, you, you talked already, you've Ed Hopkins, Russ McCray, Mark Ranger, um, Russ McCray, God bless him. I, I need to buy his, pay his cell phone bill or something because I just call Russ when I have questions. Hmm. Hey, Russ, I'm negotiating a contract. I think this is going to happen. What do you think? Ed Hopkins, this is what I'm doing. What do you think? Ranger, what do you think? Yeah. And, um, those guys having amazing and smart people around you again, that's been the hallmark of how I made it through the Academy, how I made it through the air force and whatnot is being surrounded by an amazing group of folks who are willing to give you the shirt off their back. Yeah. You know, I needed a non-disclosure agreement. Three people sent me one, mm. you know, I needed an offer letter. Four people sent me one. Right. And so now when people come to me and say, Hey, do you have, 20 minutes to talk about me starting a small business. The answer is obviously yes. I'd be a hypocrite because other people gave me these opportunities. You're paying it forward. You've got to pay it forward. And so I'll make the time if somebody wants to do it, as long as you are willing to put in the work. What's the, so when you putting in the work, tell me what the biggest challenge you faced starting your own business. You know, <clears throat> or has it just been that easy? <laughs> no, no. No, my wife will tell you that my situation from the outside, it'll look easy. Right. Okay. Um, you know, it, it, it takes 20 years to become an overnight success. Right. 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 Um, but I think one understanding the economic side of what's going on. Okay. Um, you know, you see money and then you realize uh, what quarterly taxes are. Yeah. You know, um, and managing that. And I think to your question, deciding er as early as possible in the process what your core competencies are and what you're good at and what you need to outsource. Okay. For me, accounting is not it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not what I'm great at. I can manage my QuickBooks, but then making sure that my accountant and accounting team have access to that and can make sure it's right. Right. And continue to advise me. So what that does is I can learn to outsource the things that I'm not super strong at and it affords me the opportunity to to spend my time and invest my time with my clients on those areas that I am really good at. Uh, another huge lesson learned is I did take one deal early on that I probably shouldn't have which was outside of my core competency. Yeah. And I and I think I talked to you a lot about that situation. Um I learned I realized early that I had to divorce that client. Right for the long-term good of my company because yeah. it, it wasn't a good relationship for either one of us. And so making the decision to say, yes, it's okay <clears throat> to divorce a client was, was a huge lesson learned. And mainly because you had a vision for your company, they didn't fit the vision and it was probably costing you more to stay with them than whatever little money you were making that you thought you needed to get by. 
Correct. Correct. And, and cost really not necessarily being financial, but emotional and time, you know, time frustration. Um, and so, so yeah, you, you learn to measure, you know, cost in all, all elements of that spectrum. That's that 80, 20 rule where 20% of your clients are causing sometimes 80% of your headache. You just got to cut that 20% off. You got to cut it off and keep going. You mentioned saving up some cash and already having a, uh, an LLC that you could repurpose for this business. Aside from that, what other kind of things did you do to prepare for going from being a 20 plus year military officer where you go to work every day and you have people telling you what to do to transitioning to retirement and, and becoming an entrepreneur? No, good, good question. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, most times when I answer that question, I, people talk about the finances, like, like we did a little bit earlier, but, um, I think the other part of it was I kind of, I made that decision about two years prior to retirement. And the best advice I got from a a retired Colonel was the second you make that decision, create your LLC and start talking to as many people as you can and start generating some revenue. So I started just talking to people who had already been former military officers, or what they often call vetpreneurs. And um, one in particular, George Myers, uh, I, I met through a networking event. Uh, he literally sat me down and started giving me you know, a non-disclosure agreement. Hey, here's sample contracts. How are you going to do your pricing structure? And walk me through that. And those are things that I, models that I use. And because he gave them to me so openly, I share with other entrepreneurs that I talk to often. So one, talking to as many people as absolutely possible to learn. Um, just I would I created a list of about ten to twenty questions that I just kept rifling through to everybody. I also went to a uh, small business administration sponsored uh, boots to business seminar. Uh, started out with a two day, then ended up as a eight week I believe online certificate program uh, through one of the major universities. So I uh, completed that, and then finally once things were starting, I think when I was about six months to a year out, I. I literally jettisoned everything in my life that didn't have to do with my wife, Kara, right. with uh, my God and my business. Hmm. And like so, what, what kind of things that the that you did before that maybe the average person is doing, would you say that you cut back on? I've cut back on TV one, which is a big one. You know, I used to be the cable TV, Netflix, Hulu and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not 100 percent out of it, but that's one. Uh, two, I used to run my men's group at the church. Mm. And so at about that two year point when I knew it was coming, uh, we literally kind of pulled from the military leadership side. So, okay, I need to start developing a leader because I'm going to be gone out of here in about a year or so. Right. And so we developed a team of folks and kind of institute a rotational leadership program so that when I was out, I was out. And, um, so I mean, the guys are doing great. I stay on the emails, get in touch with them every once in a while, but for these first few years in business, I don't know what the stats are, what most businesses fail in the first what, nine out of 10 years. fail in the first five and out of yeah. 10 of those one survivors, nine out of 10 of those fail in the next five years. Yeah. So to, to ensure that I'm not going to be in that failure category, uh, I'm focusing on, on my business. And to me, it comes down to, I know a lot of businesses, financial investment, but for me, a lot of business is energy management, energy investment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a pilot once said all flying is, is just energy conservation, energy management. I think business, and you could 
insert life or whatever your passion is. It's about energy management. And so I don't invest energy in, in a lot of TV and the talk shows and those kind of things. I try to invest when TV in my office is on, it's on a documentary. I had mm. Rockefeller's on. <clears throat> I had JP Morgan on earlier this week, Mark Cuban. And uh, so I'm trying to invest into where I want to go. And if it is not associated again with my family, my God, or my business, I'm not doing it right. nine times out of 10. Yeah. And I'm sure... Does your reading uh, support that as well? Like not just reading books, but other periodicals and information that you can grow in? Yeah. On a, on a funny note, you use the word reading. Um, uh, my wife's entire side of the family, uh, the McBrayer family, uh, you've got three PhDs between Kara's parents and uh, Candace Pipes. Uh, Kara will tell me, you know, because they came up in a reading household with physical books. Right. I don't do that. Um I do you. You taught me about Audible.com many, many years ago. I do a book on probably 1.5 to two times speed, and digest information during my morning walks, uh, while I'm cleaning the house, while I'm doing other things. Just trying to absorb information as much as possible. Very nice. Um, and and you've while you've had 20 years as a successful military officer, you followed it up in a pretty successful first year of business. Um, so we can talk about how you've done well and you, and, and maybe highlight a couple of things if, if you, as much as you want to share whatever's proprietary, I, I get if you don't want to put that stuff out there. Um, but as much as you feel comfortable sharing, um, what are some of the successes you had in your first year of, of doing business? Yeah, no, let's, uh, uh keeping it at like the 30,000 foot level, if you will, um, the transition, I, I like we mentioned, I put some money away for a couple of years of expenses, thinking that I was going to need that. Um, I, God was good, and literally by the time I retired, I had two clients already locked down, mm. and so there was income coming in from that. And what it enabled me to do was then I had the what I used to invest eight to ten hours a day in my military job. I had eight to ten hours a day to support those two clients and think and get out there and meet and share the McClendon Roy story to other potential clients. And uh, <clears throat> so one really good, uh, uh, some would call it business development, but a streak of business closings and deal closings that first summer of 2017 and uh, just meeting the right people and uh, the right relationships and going from there. So by the end of 2017, I believe we were up to four, possibly five clients at that point. And what's and a full load for you? I think the sweet spot for me when it was when it's just me uh, is probably three to four. Oh wow! So you you hit it pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, and and my wife was really good at r reminding me because you know ego will creep in at that point where you start thinking, "Wow, I'm really that good." No, you're not. Um, so re reminding me that this is this is a gift of God, yeah. and so with that comes that responsibility. So then the thought became. How do I, you know, multiply and how do I grow this? And that really wasn't part of the plan to start growing, you know, bringing on additional people right. in that first year. But here I am, you know, three and a half months in and I'm thinking about it. So one of the successes is bringing on a couple really key folks. One I negotiated against 20 plus years ago when I was a lieutenant. Uh, another, another one of those people that I was talking to and, and learning from in the, the year prior to retirement, he says, you need to go talk to this person. She's a lawyer. 
And uh, so I am in touch with those people and we're doing working together pretty much on a weekly basis now. So um, success number one was just ramping up and sharing my story and getting a handful of clients a lot faster than I ever anticipated. Number two, getting together with some of the right people and starting to build a team around me. And uh, from a McClinton and Roy standpoint, I'm not looking to build this huge team. I'm really looking to build my Pope and Associates, you know, Olivia okay. Pope. Right. Where I have, you know, five like from Scandal, the TV show. From Scandal, exactly. Yep. Where I have five key people that are experts and a key point better than me at what they do. Right. You know, I don't need another me. I need people who can augment and support me and lead the teams and them to be fire and forget type individuals where I don't have to babysit them because I really don't have the time, inclination, or energy to babysit somebody. No, that's smart. And, yeah. Go ahead. And pay them for the right to babysit them. Right, 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 right. Pay them to do what you, to babysit them. You don't want to do that. No. Well, so you've had some obviously clear, quick successes, good successes, and sustained success. Um, What about, what are some things you would have, uh, some things you would call mistakes that you've learned from them? No. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think the biggest, one I think there's three that come to mind. Um, two, two of them are really just bad financial investments. Uh, one young captain, you know, starting to invest in, uh, I, I invested into this guy to write a book mm. and, um, he did, he did it. It, the book was extremely successful. The deal was absolutely the stupidest thing on the face of the earth. So he and, wrote a book for you. No, he wrote a book that was published in Barnes and Nobles at the time, Borders and all that kind of stuff went national. And uh, but I was so naive. I didn't learn the game and uh, that the returns on that investment were. I mean, it's it's at a loss and I just had to cut my losses. And then this is some uh, captain you invested in. No, no, no. This is when I was a captain. He was just a guy, a guy that I met and knew. And he was a national speaker and whatnot. And uh, um you know, I, I believed in him and I believed in his message and he was really inspirational and whatnot. And, and he is even to this day. Uh, but from a business deal perspective, uh, it was absolutely the worst thing you've ever seen. I mean, it was stupid when I look back at it. Hmm. Um, but, uh, I, I tried to invest some money that one, I probably shouldn't have done cause I probably needed it at that point in life. Right. And number two, I didn't understand the game. Hmm. I did not. So I invested in something that I didn't understand. Uh, number one, uh, the next one, so I took on I, probably the third or fourth client. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I had three or four in that first few months. Uh, I took on a client that was really wanted more business development than contract or procurement support. So going into the deal, I and knew- And let me pause that, you for a second. Can you explain the difference for those who might not know between what is business development and what is oh, fair versus question. contract uh, support, which you've already kind of talked about? Yeah. So business development, often known as BD, kind of think sales, guys. Yep. It's it's a, a <laughs> it's like Raytheon and those guys don't say Northrop. They don't say we have a sales team. We got a BD team. Yep. And their job is to, no kidding, go out there and develop business. And so they are out there talking in the Pentagon and various offices, helping to cultivate what in the procurement world we call requirements. Requirements lead to contracts. And so they're out there trying to identify a need and helping the people with the money uh, to understand their proposed and buy into their proposed solution. So I had a client that was doing some really good work in 
in a in the State Department, and they needed some help getting into the into the DoD. And so what I re- I realized initially that this is not what I do, mm-hmm. right? But um, I brought on a partner who was a BD expert. Okay. And so, <clears throat> uh, long story short, uh, it, I realized that one, I made a mistake because I took on a contract outside of my core competency of procurement management. Mm. Um, number two, when I started this company, I thought that I, I decided I was going to focus on small businesses. Uh, they are nimble. They're very dynamic. They can pivot on a dime. Right. And this client was a large business client. And so one of the challenges with a, you know, supporting a large business client is the fact that one, there's 18,000 different levels of review right. and approval. And then even if you have the greatest idea on the face of the earth, you've got a lot of organizational inertia that you're going to have to overcome in order to to ch- make any degree of positive change in an organization. And so uh, I ended up uh, walking away from that contract uh, against what they wanted. Um, but when I, as I told them, when I get to the point with anybody that I don't think that I'm adding value to you, when I, when I actually feel bad when I'm invoicing you at the end of the month, it's time for us to separate and go right. different ways. Yeah. I, I, I am not one of those folks who are going to just take the check for the sake of taking the check. Uh, if I'm not adding value to you, I would rather be straight up with you, talk to you about that and go our separate ways. And what's really one is the right thing to do. And number two, when they get into a position that they want to hear what we're saying, um, they, they, they're more open to come back because you had integrity together. Exactly. And that's, that's really what, what the folks who I talked to when I, when I kind of, I phrased it as we're going to break up. Um, when we broke up, uh, they really applauded our integrity and, um, and the fact that hey, when they are ready and when they, they, they feel that they have that need for us, uh, they will not hesitate at all to, to give us a call. Would you add that as a line of business on your Pope and Associates team or McClinton and Roy team? Uh, do you see it as like a need out there or is it like, I, I don't want to mess with that. I'm going to stay in my lane. No, it's a great, great point. I, I think eventually that might be is bringing on a BD person because a number of clients, it comes up. I mean, every business on the face of the earth is looking for future opportunity. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's where your revenue streams, long-term revenue streams come from. So I, I'm pretty confident that I, that that would be a key uh, component to the future of McClendon Roy. I kind of see that maybe in the three to five year phase um, because things are going great right now. Right now in our little market out here and even spreading across the country, we are getting a reputation for being uh, contracting, contract management experts. Right. And so I've told people, now I've got a handful of friends who are BD folks, so we'll team with them or in some cases, I'll just pass the business to them if I don't right. think I can add value. Um, but there could be a point. We'll we'll let the, you know the market gets a vote. Um, if that becomes you know that pressing, uh, and I keep passing off business to to people to do business development, then absolutely, uh, I'll consider bringing somebody like that on board. So you're an entrepreneur now after your military career, but I've known you to be doing entrepreneurial endeavors for many years. And you even mentioned that you had an LLC from way back because uh, you had entrepreneurial leanings even early on. Part of that is real estate. Can you talk a little bit about what the real estate part of your portfolio business aspirations and experience has been? Yeah. So 
I got into real estate probably in around, around about 2005 and it was duplexes. You know, there's a lot of models, folks flip, some do single family homes. For me, the best thing was uh, multifamily real estate. So was living out in Dayton, Ohio, uh, purchased, started with one duplex, one came open. I literally, man, used to go <clears throat> door to door and I, or I went online, actually, I should say, and uh, found out who the owners were and sent unsolicited letters and said, hey, I'm a real estate investor in your neighborhood looking to buy. And one guy out of the probably 40 or 50 letters I sent out wow. responded. Yeah. But that one guy owned four or five duplexes in the area. Hmm. And so long story short, he's a retired Colonel UPS pilot. He sells me a fourplex. Wow. And then he owned another duplex across the street. So at the time I bought the fourplex, I then put a an option in on to purchase at a future date the duplex across the street. Hmm. And that <clears throat> ended up working out probably a year or so later. So ended up with, you know, at that time, you know, the du the primary duplex, then the fourplex, and then another duplex. And uh, so over the years, uh, I've sold some, uh, still maintain some, you know, just as the market market goes up and down and life changes. But um, real estate will always be a, a major component of, of what I've done. And Kara and I, she's really focused on real estate and has been. Uh, so we've recently created a, another LLC to hold our real estate. And, and in a lot of ways, when people say, hey, what's your investment strategy? We both kind of look at it and say, hey, Monopoly. <laughs> like the game Monopoly. The game Monopoly. I mean, that is literally, I, I'm not a huge, we do invest in stocks, no doubt. Um, but I fully understand and, and feel I have more control in the real estate game uh, than I do uh, investing in the stock market and you know companies that I, I don't control. Again, I am not disparaging anybody who are pro- uh, stock market guys and a lot of people are making a killing. Investment decisions in my in my mind are primary are personal, and so it's what you choose to do. And there are as many different opportunities and ways to make money as there are you know people in the world. So for me, for us, for House Roan, uh, our focus primarily is is in building a real estate portfolio, and that's really what McClendon Roy is there for. It is there to not only provide great service, blah, 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 but it is also there to generate cash to feed into the real estate portfolio. One of the things that um, I wanted to ask you real quick back to the McClinton Roy uh, procurement side of the house, what what are some of the key skills or characteristics that it takes to be a successful entrepreneur in general, but also successful at the particular business you've chosen in uh, a procurement yeah, so the the entrepreneurship, I, you know, I I, I laugh because I, I don't know if I'm qualified to say what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. Um, I, I just grind and hustle as much as possible every day. Um, but I think that's part of the answer, right? Is, yeah, is a laser is a laser like focus. Uh, I talk to people who are like, "Hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to do this." I go back to one of your previous guests and our our friend and mentor Ed Hopkins. Ed told me years ago, 20 plus years ago, there are two types of people in this world. There are talkers and there's walkers. And so it, is it, there's people who will talk about doing what they're going to do and there's people who, are, who will walk and actually do it. So in order to be a successful entrepreneur, in my opinion, you got to be a walker. 
Right. And and the the ratio to talkers and walkers, there there are far fewer walkers, unfortunately, in this world than talkers. Um, but you've got to be laser focused and you've got to be willing to put in the time. Your family has to be willing to put in the time. Uh, my wife knows I this week, I think I had three two o'clock in the morning uh, nights yeah. that I stayed up that late right. uh, working proposals and whatnot. And she understands it. She understands what I'm doing. She still pushes me for balance and we're working on that. Um, but you've got to be laser-like focused on one. And then to your other question about success in the, in the, what I'll call the GovCon or government contracting space, I, I think a lot of that is experience. I mean, the federal acquisition regulation, you know, is you know, a couple thousand pages. And, uh, and, and, it, and what is the federal acquisition regulation? That is, so uh, all federal procurement, federal contracts are governed by law. That law is... <clears throat> applied or uh, enacted with, um, you have to have regulations right. or policy right. uh, that is supported by the law. And so, and then you have people like what I used to do as a contracting officer who interpret those regulations and leverage those rev those regulations to turn, you know, requirements or ideas into actual physical contracts like, a, like an airplane. Right. You know, so we are that intermediary between somebody saying, hey, I got this, I want to make this stealth airplane that nobody can see on a radar. We'll call it the F-35. They then give us some money and the ideas, which we call requirements, and we go out, work with the Northrop's, the Lockheed's and whatever, and we contract and turn those ideas and money into an airplane. And you're saying you're like the experience of doing that, translating those, Absolutely those right. vague ideas into actual contracts. Absolutely. Working right. your business requires experience. It takes experience, you know, and that's like, I think uh, clearly I'm not a doctor or a lawyer, but, um, it's kind of like, how, how do you get good at being a doctor? You know, um, you know, how many years does it take to be an expert doctor? I, you know, right. I don't know more than one. Um, but you know, Malcolm Gladwell says it takes what, 10,000 hours to be expert in anything. Right. And so I've got 20 years in it. And so the military experiences have prepared me so well, I think, for this. If I'm talking to a Northrop Grumman and negotiating with those kind of guys or a Lockheed, I've done that in the Air Force. If I'm right. negotiating with a small business, I've done it. If I'm negotiating with a foreign country or a foreign business, I've done both of those through my military experience. And so it's, it's nothing you can read. And, and I tell clients all the time, you know, what do I bring you? You know, what am I selling to you? I'm selling you time. And why am I selling you time? Because you can go out and read everything I'm going to tell you for yourself. Right. The issue is it's going to take you umpteen months, if not years, and 20 plus years of experience to figure out what I'm telling you right now. And there are some things. Well, I'll say two things. One is there are some things that you can't even it's like you could read a book about how to drive a car. But there's that moment whenever you're driving with your knee on the steering wheel and you're changing the radio station or your phone now and eating a burger at the same time that you can't do whenever you first started driving because there's the experience of having driven over time that gets you used to seeing things that you that the unexperienced person couldn't see. And I'm sure the same is true in your business. You just you just know places to look that a person who just read the book wouldn't even know. You know, I, ironically enough, a, a client called this week and we had been working on a contract for XYZ and he's like, hey, you know, we, we just hit a, hit a major roadblock. You know, what can we do? And in a, I even I, I, t I stopped and talked to him about it. Within, the phone call lasted three minutes and 12 seconds. Right, right. I had pulled up the contract in question and found the answer. 
and we had a recommendation in three minutes and 12 seconds. Now, right. how did how did I do that? I, I don't know how I knew to go there. Yeah, it's wisdom. It's That's the, what wisdom is. Yeah, I guess. It's the experience because then the, the client said, how did you do that? And I said, I can't tell you because I've just done it. You know, right. and, and it's the same thing with pilots. It's the same thing with, you know, doctors and lawyers and things like that. You get to a point where you just know what you know. But the the here's the danger and the pitfall to you is you can't just say, well, I'm there. I'm an expert. I, I will never call myself an expert. Right. If you're not out there reading and learning and trying to expand and figure out what the newest and greatest ways of, you know, advancing in your field, uh, you're crazy. So you're never there. But absolutely, 10 or excuse me, 20 years of experience uh, definitely just gives you that gut feel that you can roll with. Well, here's your story you can tell the next time you're, you know, you got to you got to pad time up so you can get your billing hours up to justify your your invoice. You can tell them about the plumber who walks into the house. I'm sure you've heard this. (laughs) Yes. Goes into the basement. And the, the lady says, I don't know why, you know, my, my, my stuff isn't, and this is for the listener too, if, who hasn't heard the story. I don't know why my pipes are clogged and I got, I, I, can you come over? Can you fix it? And the plumber walks into the basement, takes his hammer, bangs on one little part of the, the pipe, and then the water starts flowing. That'll be $300, please. She's like, $300? All you did was bang on the pipe. He said, oh yeah, the pipe, the $300 isn't for me banging on the pipe. It's for knowing where on the pipe to bang to make everything work again. Amen. And, Amen. And so, uh, so that's you. You, you know, you 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 obviously laid it in with your experience, but knowing where to go and what to do in that wisdom is why you charge all those big dollars. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it is it's the experience, and, and the other part of the experience is not just the functional experience, but the relationship building experience. Yeah. And we talked earlier, you know, back to the. Al Holland's calling me charmer. You know, I've always, for whatever reason, had that gift of relationships mm-hmm. uh, that I do not take for granted. Um, but that part also, being able to just sit down with people and talk, uh, get off the phones. I tell I tell my team all the time, you know, well, I've emailed them. Okay. Have you called them? Have you gone face-to-face to visit? You know, it's that relational side of the business is often is also uh, underappreciated. Well, I think, you know, that plus the the wisdom thing. The other thing I've started to note is successful people. One thing I'm noticing a lot is that Malcolm Gladwell concept that it just took them a period of time and experience to get to the point of having success. Um, It's not just people say, oh, so and so is overnight success. But if you hear their particular story you start to learn that nah, they've been grinding at this for some period of time, or maybe not that specific thing that they're doing, but other things in their life have given them the skills and the ability to land in that spot and take advantage of an opportunity that came up for them. No, you're, you're spot on right. And that's where, you know, that phrase, uh, you know, it takes 20 years to make an overnight success. Right. You know, people don't see the grind and the hustle. They don't see the two o'clock in the mornings. They don't see the, you know, this and that that you go through. And by no means am I complaining. Um, this is the, this is kind of like the Godfather. This is the life we chose. You right. Know? Um, and, and they're definitely upside rewards. Uh, but it definitely does take 20 plus years to make an overnight success. So any other specific skills you think are important if someone wants to have like a consulting business like yours? Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think one of the things I did well was was looking long term and not not, you know, and planning for planning not to have client, uh, a handful of clients 
or or an overabundance of clients in that first few years, you know, because I put some money aside. Um, so I think that having that confidence in, in looking at what I call the downside risk, um, I planned for my downside risk. And so that was just another plus, I think, that that I learned from now. It then I ended up with four or five clients, you know, in the first three to six months of what we were doing. And then my problem was air quotes problem. Okay. I didn't need, need to use that cash. What do I do with that cash now? Right. You know, but, uh, back to, you know, our Academy days, prior planning prevents poor performance, right. you know, type thing. Um, it, that is truly, uh, that was truly beneficial in, in my case, but what that fine, what that funding and that capital did was gave me the confidence to know that I can take care of myself and my family. We can eat, which, you know, eating's important. Eating's really and, important. Uh, and uh, we can eat, but it gives you that confidence to know that if this if this deal is not good, I can walk because I don't need it. Right. I'm not desperate for it. Yeah. So all of that relates back to to preparing to make that transition to planning. You know, the, from the financial standpoint, from the functional, you know, air quotes again, expertise to um, you know getting your mind right, and then it once you have all that in place and those dominoes are all aligned. Then it's just you wake up every single day and work as absolutely hard as you can. Right. You yeah. know, laser like focused to get done what you've accomplished, what your goal is for the day. Nothing substitute for hard work. Um, and, and you've talked about real estate investments. We've talked about your procurement business. Um, are there any other business ventures you're in? Why don't you talk about those if there are? Yeah. Um, it, <clears throat> you know, I, I, with role models, again, Ed Hopkins, Mark Ranger, you know, Russell McRae, folks that you've had on your show, um, having multiple streams of income is always an important thing. And uh, so we've got the real estate LLC my wife and I have stood up. We've got McClendon Roy. <clears throat> and uh, one of my clients who was probably my primary, my number one client uh, not too long ago, and I got to thank you for helping me as I thought through this, um, made a inequity uh, offer. And so I'm part owner in a defense company, a small business uh, out of Denver and doing some absolutely amazing things with an amazing team of entrepreneurs. Uh, we're in the counter drone as well as uh, helmet mounted displays and optics business. And so uh, we've got, again, the real estate company, we've got the McClendon Roy, and then, and now you're Tony uh, Stark on top of all that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, and, and I'm blessed to be the chief procurement officer for light eye systems. Yeah. And so, uh, it, it is just, it, it keeps me busy. And, uh, but I tell you, man, it is, you know, the stress, this is truly like first world when I'm stressing, it's first world stressing. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's just every single turn it's, it keeps me busy, but it also keeps me engaged. It keeps me learning. And, uh, it, every single day is different, man. Very nice. And y'all see how you slid by that Tony Stark comment. So, you know, if you see yeah. a, a brother in a, in a, in a metal suit flying around your neighborhood, it's probably Jay Rohn yeah. coming through. Yeah. yeah. We, we are, we are not there yet. And, uh, we got, <laughs> well, I heard we, drones we, and helmet mounted uh, visual detection. So that's sounds a lot like Tony Stark to me. God is good. And uh, it's it, again, it's back to having the, the team. You know, when it comes to LightEye, I'm a small piece of, of a very uh, of, of a bigger machine. And uh, but we're really blessed when you get a lot of, you know, the, the owners of the company are, are, you know, entrepreneurs from years and years ago on their fifth or sixth company. And so you get those people around, you know, often we'll face a problem and we look and we say, I don't know how we're going to 
figure this out, but we, we all know we're going to figure this right. out. Well, and I, that's where the experience comes from back to that discussion. I would say, you know, you're being humble with respect to what you've done, but you've accomplished some pretty impressive things. Um, and, and now you've added a ton of things to your plate. Why don't you talk about how in the world you manage all these different pieces that are together. Plus you have a, a, a wife to support a son who graduated college. So you, you know, you're always, we're always talking about him and the things that you're helping him learn how to do as he becomes a young man. Um, how do you manage all of the things that you have going? All right. So yeah, <clears throat> uh, there's a lot. It's literally in front of me at my desk is my bullet journal that I carry everywhere I go. Um, a wise man once told me the weakest ink is stronger than the strongest mind. That brother sounds wise right there. That brother sounds wise. He now has a podcast called breaking the glass, but he told me, um, that probably 20 plus years ago, um, one of my weaknesses, acknowledged weaknesses is I don't remember stuff. My Mm. wife will tell you, Hey, you know, go pick up this from the store. Got it. And man, I'm on back on the business. Right. And I, I totally forgot. And now, now the dogs aren't eating, you know? Right. And, um, so I write things down and I've told people forever, if you that work for me, <clears throat> if you tell me something and you need me to do something to me, it is absolutely fair for you to say, Hey, sir, boss, you need to write this down. Right. If I write it down, I've captured it and I'll do it. If I don't write it down or you don't tell me to write it down, I may get to it, but likely won't be in your timeline. So number one, I write everything down. <clears throat> number two, and this is the value and kudos to you for this podcast I was feeling in a way overwhelmed because I was like, I'm just not tracking everything. And then I listened to Russell McRae's podcast with you. And um, he starts talking about this Google Sheets spreadsheet that he just tracks everything with his multiple business lines. And so literally reached out to Russ, sends it over to me, and I do that. So at the very front of my bullet journal, every day I update my master task list. And uh, it is color-coded just like Russ's by the by – the, um, you know, which business I'm, I'm focused on right. and everything I have to do is there. Mm. And so my challenge, you know, again, it's managing energy. If I, if I forget something or if I get that feeling where, oh no, I know I'm supposed to be doing something, but I don't remember what it is. You know, I, I absolutely hate that feeling and I'm wasting energy and I'm being inefficient. Right. So my challenge, if I'm talking to you TQ as a client is you task me with something. My challenge for that moment is to capture it on my list. So I have that in the front page of my bullet journal. It's with me every day. It's updated every day. And so then I translate just like Russ, my to do's, I prioritize them because I'm constantly reviewing them and updating them. Then I translate those into my calendar. Right. And one of the things as much as I can, I try to manage my to my calendar and be very disciplined with it. Uh, you know, you and I even recording this, we have it with calendar invites and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so like we didn't just, I didn't just call you this morning to say, let's get on the phone. We, no. we set a schedule. You sent me a calendar invite. I accepted it. So it's on our calendar and your calendar plan are ready to go. Exactly. And, and here's the thing. And I, and I appreciate you being flexible is because I fully acknowledge there's X percent of my calendar. It seems to be growing that I don't control. Right. You know, if my wife needs me, TQ, we'll have to reschedule. Right. Um, you know, and sometimes in client, we'll have to reschedule, but it's flexible. And then my clients get a vote, you know, and people are like, hey, you don't have a boss anymore. No, well, I do. One, called a wife, two, called a client. And um, so you still do have people who are influencing you. And so 
I try to control it as much as possible, but still keep an air or a percentage of flexibility in there. Um, so that's those are two key tools for me is <clears throat> writing everything down. And that's part of the contracting officer in me where the three rules of contracting are document, document, document. Hmm. And so I write everything down. I literally am so in love with these bullet journals that I've got five or 10 of them sitting on my shelf unused. So when I use this one, I just pull the next one off the shelf. And so Do you want to give like the two second or even two minute. What's a bullet journal? Because I actually use a bullet journaling system myself as well. Yeah. So the bullet journal or the, you know, it's kind of getting a cult following of what they call Bujo. Bujo. B-U- yeah, exactly. B-U-J-O. And you can go on Pinterest or, you know, just Google it and look at the images. But all it is, it's like the old school moleskin notebooks, just a regular hardbound notebook with good quality paper. But instead of lines going horizontally, they actually have, it's a grid system. It's just a lot of dots. And uh, so with that, you can literally use it for just regular writing paper and your hand flows along the, you know, parallel lines, parallel dots. Or if you like for my weekly to-do list, another to-do list that I carry around with me, um, you can draw them out and you can use the lines to keep your lines or the dots to keep your lines straight. You can, I do mind mapping to just flush out ideas and to think. And um, <clears throat> so it's a, it's an entire system of, of notebooks, if you will. But it's just the, the beauty of it is its simplicity that it's literally an entire 200 plus pages of just dots. Yeah. Well, you can. And for those of you who are like me and who are super digital, I do a digital bullet journal using an app on the iPad called GoodNotes and an Apple Pencil um, to to approximate the same thing Jamie's talking about in the context of a journal. And there's no shortage of, like you said, on Pinterest or on YouTube, if you search for a bullet journal, uh, you can do everything from how to get started to, and, and it, you can track books you're reading, tasks you're trying to do, habits you're trying to keep, like drinking water or getting a certain amount of sleep or whatever the case is, in addition to planning your schedule and tracking your tasks and accomplishing your goals. So um, it's a really flexible system that helps you be productive. Um, and I, I would encourage you to, to Google it. But so you use the bullet journal, you use the task list that Russ talked about, any of the things that you use to kind of keep it all together and, and, and answer to all of your bosses? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And this is a it's a, it's a derivative of that question or the answer is. Um, so those are the tools I use. But the other part is is a routine. And uh, just like any routine, going to church, working out, I um, sometimes I'm better at it than others. Right now I'm really good at it. But I wake up, you know, five thirty, six o'clock, and first thing I try to do is get out there and go on a walk. And right now I'm up to probably about an hour. Mm. And <clears throat> what I do during that walk is one, get a little bit of exercise. Uh, two, uh, I've got, you know, I'm on multiple phones, so I'm checking email. I'm going out to my team. Hey, do this, do that, do this, do that. And because of the fact I'm on the East Coast. And some of my team members are and and clients are even on, you know, further behind me, you know, I get a head start on everybody because very few of us are up that early actually working. I'm not talking about the folks out there commuting, but I'm talking about working and already grinding out. So by the time I get back from that walk, by the time 7 a.m. hits, you know, I've already sent out emails. I've already read what I need to read. I've already, um, you know tacked one of the priorities off of the, you know, Russell McRae to-do list. And, um, 
I've already set that and I'm doing it before anybody can even wake up enough to call me and task me or, or have me pivot to do something else. Right. So before any of the fires can start, I've already accomplished probably two or three major things for the day. And so that walk, I walk straight back to my office and knock out whatever else I need to knock out, maybe reviewing a proposal, you know, a final review edits on a, on a, on a document. And, uh, then I go downstairs, get my coffee, you know, shower up and, and get after it. But even if I lose control of, you know, from eight o'clock on, uh, because I'm pivoting to different fires that pop up, uh, cause no, make no mistake as, as a CEO and a chief procurement officer of multiple com- of another company, you're putting out fires a lot of the time. Right. And so you're, you're a chief firefighter in a lot of ways. And so, but even if the only thing that Jamie needed to get done for that day, I got done between five 30 and eight still pretty productive. It's a productive day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, that's wise. That's very wise. I, man, I, um, with kids, man, I got a two year old who I love, but he's having a, we're having a tough time with sleep training and getting up boy five 30 can be a challenge. Although for me, like yeah. you, it's, you get a lot of stuff done before the house gets going for me. Uh, Cause you got to take his to school and all that stuff. And then for others who business gets going, but if you can do it early, it has an advantage of, um, like you said, kind of getting, staying ahead of the curve. Well, let's pivot a little bit and talk about some mentors in your life. You mentioned George Myers, you mentioned the general who's been with you throughout your career since I think she was a Lieutenant Colonel. Who are some other mentors who have been important in your life and career? If you have any to add. Yeah, I, I've got a first shout out the, the greatest mentor is God mm. and, and, and Jesus Christ and his example. And as I got into the Bible, re got into the Bible again, uh, you know, I just started reading the gospels. I mean, that's amazing. The biography of Jesus Christ's life, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, now that being said, uh, Jim Rohn and Judy Rohn, I've talked a lot about my parents <clears throat> and their role came coming from inner city, Chicago and Philadelphia, to literally, uh, you know, what I would consider to be self-made. They're not overly rich, but they've got it. You know, they they are literally self-sufficient. You know, coming from those backgrounds, and they 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 raised us upright and uh, gave us amazing families and a, amazing foundations. Uh, next one is my brother. Yeah. Uh, you know, John Roan, Colonel, Group Commander out at Nellis Air Force Base absolute best friend on the face of the earth. Mm. And, uh, he, we are each other's biggest fans. And ironically enough, we will push each other, uh, cause we're competitive as all get out, but, yeah. um, we are, we are the best of friends. And, uh, <clears throat> quick side note. Um, I was in, in Baghdad on a deployment and I, um, went up to what's called Balad air base and, uh, I'm sitting there just doing me laughing, joking with some people and they had these huge 10 feet walls, uh, called T walls over there, kind of blast resistant concrete walls. And, uh, all of a sudden from around the other side of that wall, I knew my brother was deployed. I hear Rhino, my nickname. And I'm like, who is that? And from around a T wall comes my brother. Oh, that's crazy. So there we are in the middle of Iraq my brother hears my laugh <laughs> from around a 10 foot T wall, which maybe, I, maybe I need to work on my laugh a little bit, right. but he then comes around and we were able to link up. I mean, and to be in the middle of nowhere and have your brother right there. Yeah. Um, That's cool. you know, it is an amazing experience. So and John you, got, is, you got the, uh, the rhino name. That's better than the charmer. You finally got a cool nickname. 
I finally got a cool nickname. And uh, yeah, that's an interesting story. And for folks, you know, just Google the Rhino principle. And uh, one of my old bosses gave me that a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, sitting in my home office, I'm looking at, I don't know, six or seven rhinos, wooden rhino heads. Right. And uh, that folks have, have gotten me over the years, rhino t-shirts, rhino everything's around here. So um, your brother, so, you're saying your brother is one of your so mentors. My brother is, is one of the greatest mentors uh, out there. And, uh, so now that, you know, that's the upbringing part of things. Uh, you mentioned, you know, General Massiello, Colonel Steve Elliott, and, uh, those are folks from a military perspective that were there for me. And even when I've had my ups and downs with me in my own life, personally, they have been right there. Mm. Um, General Casey Blake, you know, Hey, you know, Hey, this is disappointing. I love you. And, uh, the grace and, and mercy that they have shown me over the years, um, when, when, you know, I've done good or when I've, uh, let them down, uh, has just been one instrumental and two, uh, very instructive for me. So they kind of moving on, uh, again, I've already talked about Russ Ranger, you know, Rodney Bullard, folks that you've had on your show, uh, Kurt Heppard, Steve Green, both played amazing roles in our lives at the Air Force Academy as those mentors are, in the, those in the are, management uh, department. Our instructors there in the management department and now actually general, uh, or Colonel Green, is he still at the department now? He he, he still is, as I know, and even now General Armacost, who's the dean, yeah, uh, at the academy. But let me get to a, a, a final one, and uh, this is as I, as I'm maturing, I'm learning more of how true this is. Is my wife? Mm. Um, you know, Kara has been there. <clears throat> Uh, one, I've known her for 20 years. Uh, we, we've been married, you know, just a little over a year now. But, um, you know, to have no kidding, your best friend, uh, your mentor, your coach, you know, somebody who's like, you didn't quite make it, you know, yeah. and uh, give you that honest feedback. Sometimes I say, you know, too, sometimes too honest, you know. Uh, but <laughs> like, did you have to say it like that? Yeah, honey? Did, you, did you have to? You don't have to say everything you think. But, um, <laughs> But no, it's 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 a good thing because to have somebody and I pray that, you know, folks, I know you've got it, but to yeah. have that person that can be right there and support you through it all. I mean, we, she heard about this vision of McClinton and Roy before it was ever there. Right. And so she's been through that process, asking the hard questions. And, you know, with her, she's in federal law enforcement and doesn't do anything much with contracts. But if I can explain it there, and sometimes she'll say, that doesn't make sense. And so what I take from that is if I can't explain it to somebody outside of my profession and my career field, they probably, probably I need to work on my story a little bit better. Right. And uh, because the vast majority of my clients, by the fact that they're calling me and need my assistance, they don't know what I know. Right. So I've got to be able to articulate what I do and what I know from a federal procurement perspective to somebody who is not intimately familiar with the federal procurement system. Mm -hmm. And Kara has been an amazing sounding board. Are you sure you want to do this? What if you said it like this? And, uh, you know, there's been a few uh, or more than a handful of instances where she's like, babes, that's great. And when you get a, when I get a, that's great from her, that's you know, the green I've, light. Really, I, I've nailed it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, so being able to have all of those people, you know, Hillary Clinton talks about it takes a village it absolutely takes a village. And that's really, if anybody takes anything from here, from me, absolutely laser focused, hard work, but you cannot do this on your own. Right. 
it, it just, I don't know how anybody could think they did. Um, but the village that has surrounded me from high school yeah. coaches to all the way through, you know, the general Massiello's of the world and whatnot, um, you know, you can't do this on your own. None of us are good enough. I think you're like out of the many people I know in my life, you're way at the high end of being effective at surrounding yourself with mentors and co-collaborators and supporters and and allies. You're way at the high end of the curve of using people in your life. Um, and I, I don't want to say using like you take advantage of them. I mean, you have of 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 I think the best way I would say it is collecting people who like and support you and you almost kind of you have a, a way of making people like the charmer like your coach saw yeah. of endear, of endearing yourself to people and then respecting them enough to to leverage and value their opinions they have and the value they bring to you to to make you successful like and I think that's what it is man it's almost like you get people to be invested in your success and then they want to be, and then you leverage and appreciate them for it. And I think that makes them want to do it even more. It's funny. Um, this is both uh, a thing that Lyndon Johnson, if you, Robert Caro, great biographer, he did one of this guy um, named Robert Moses, who was a big time dude in New York City, and also LBJ. And the LBJ biography he did was four books, 800 plus pages a piece. Um, of a series <laughs> does of, that come in audio it does come in audio and the okay. and the four and i got it at the, at the the public library so i can get it for no cost um but th those books are like 40 hours a piece but it, wow. one of the things he talks about with lbj is that he was a professional son that he would find people who were older and wanted to give their wisdom because a lot of people who are who are wise and successful, they want to invest in someone younger because it's almost like they can take their wisdom, put it in a younger body and um, and and see how that person succeeds. And I think I think you're in that camp of people, too. I'm reading a book now called Conspiracy by um, uh, I'll get the name of the guy here in just a second. But it talks about how Peter Thiel took down the Gawker magazine. It's, right. by, it's by Ryan Holiday. And um, he's the, the person who was like the point person for Peter Thiel to use Hulk Hogan's story to take down Gawker. And you may not know any of those names, but Google them and you'll figure it out. But the point is, is that guy, his name is Mr. A. He's not even revealed who he really is in the book. But he got Peter Thiel, who's a billionaire, initial investor in Facebook, founder of PayPal, right. um, and a bunch of other companies who, you know, multi-billionaire guy. Um, he got Peter Thiel... To, to let him run this kind of passion project for Peter Thiel, which was taking down Gawker Magazine, who had done something bad to him. Again, you can find out the details online. But the point is, is this guy, this Mr. A, was also a professional son. He got Peter Thiel to like him. And I think you have a good ability to do that as well. And, I, and it's clear that, you know, like with LBJ and yourself, it can lead to a lot of success. No, I, I one blessed to receive that brother. I, I, I think it's true. And, uh, you, you self-corrected on one thing that I was, I don't know if you heard me about to jump. Yeah. When you, when you talk about use people, because that's what I would, and I often talk to youngsters about this and youngsters being defined as anybody younger than me right. is I think people try to network to use them, you know, for their own good. And, um, you know, that's to me, you know, there's, there's networking, you know, a fine line between networking and manipulation. Yeah. 
And I think it really comes down to what is your initial going in position and objective? Is it to get TQ to do something for me and use TQ as a pawn on a chessboard? If that's the case, you're absolutely wrong and you need to fix it. If your desire is to cultivate a relationship and a, you know, a bilateral relationship, uh, meaning benefiting them and benefiting you, then you're fine. But I think the way you go into it is how much can I give? How much can I sow into somebody's life, you know, without even the expectation of return? Let me ask you a a question, because even I I feel like, like I said, you're expert level. I'm still learning how to be a good networker. How do you like how often do you call these people like a general officer, some lieutenant out there is thinking now, oh, man, I got to cultivate some relationship with the lieutenant colonel till he or she becomes a general. Like, I want to do that, but I don't know how. How often do I call them? What do I talk to them about? How do I add value to someone who is mentoring me to their life? Um, so how do you recommend that people do that in order to network in a way that's not using somebody and to be able to be good at maintaining that relationship over a long period of time? No. Yeah, I think the first part of it is to realize we don't we don't have to go formal with this networking, mentoring. And all. We're talking relationships yeah. that we are all accustomed to. And it's it's just like you and I we established a fundamental relationship and brotherly relationship, you know, 20 plus years ago. And then we had many years where we didn't even talk, Yeah. but we pick up the phone and we were right back into it. You know what I mean? And here we are again. And so I think a lot of that is you have to establish the foundational, the foundation of that relationship initially upfront. Okay. And what does that mean? Like, how do you, how do you, what do you um, establish the foundation? Um, of sewing into each other, it's it's I wouldn't say constant contact, but you know, it's regular periodic contact. regular contact and regular mutual support for one another. When I create a relationship with somebody, I try to get a few wins with them. Like first. such as um now in the business, you know, we could sit there and plan out, oh, we're gonna do this together, we're gonna do that together, or let's find a deal, go after it and get it together. Let's win together. And what about on a lower level, like as a lieutenant or as a, a junior professional? It's person? even it's even easier then because as a young lieutenant, there are more opportunities uh and more there are more projects than there are lieutenants. So for me, then it's just uh, find something maybe that that person is find important something to them. that they need. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you've got a senior leader that you want to be a mentor for. Hey, can I get 20 minutes on your calendar? No, go figure out what's important to them. Maybe they want to find somebody to run this luncheon. Right now you go run that luncheon. I mean, let's go back to, to general Goldfein with the, the chief of staff. If Jamie Rohn wanted to get a hundred hours of his time, it would have never happened. However, Jamie Rohn gets selected to run his Senate confirmation hearing and he ends up spending a hundred hours with him. Right. You know? And so go find out what's important to that other person and sew into them and serve them. Okay. You are going to get all the FaceTime and, and, and real one-on-one because they're all human. All these senior leaders are human. And so while you're there talking to them about this luncheon that you're putting on, you're going to have the opportunity to talk to them and they're going to ask you, well, what, TQ, what is it you want to do in life? Where's your right, next step? Right. What are your goals? And then you're creating that foundation that I talked about. And go. then if you don't talk to them a year later, a year or so, you have the opportunity to reach back to them and say, hey, sir, TQ here, Jamie here, Rhino, and just following up, checking in on you. Just tell you, I was thinking about you, but you've already established a foundation okay. in their mind and you've cemented who you are and your work ethic, your value. Now, here's the thing. 
when you do that, you've got to perform for them. Right. Because if you fail, it's probably not the guy you want to call back, right? Bad foundation. Bad foundation. Bad foundation. But you get a solid foundation, you know. And so do you uh, call get, them like quarterly? Do you email them, give them life updates? Do you I, check in I, on I'm them? Not like, that, I'm not that scripted. Okay. And and I think but what I are think, some examples? Honestly, so forget about the script. What are some things that you've done that maybe someone could, you know, you, you put there's a grab bag of things that you tend to do that you are that yeah. are natural to you, but someone yeah. who's trying to develop the habit can can try yeah. to do. <clears throat> One, you gotta get that foundation, but then you've got periodic check-ins. Some people use, you know, the outlook and you set reminders. To me, that's overly scriptive and it's just not good. For, it's not how I do things. Unless However, unless for the person, it's not natural. I think it's in your, I think you're at the high level because that's a gifting that you have. But some people point. who need that, fair point. that's why all these why books are written, right? Someone takes what's natural to them and, yeah. and, and scripts it, so to speak. Yeah. So for me, it's in major life events. You know, uh, when I, when I was retiring, I reached out to him, um, you know, sometimes, it, and this is just where I, I can't explain it. I just know, um, I'll be out, I was out this morning out for a walk and, uh, uh, a mentor came to mind and I just shot him a quick note. Yeah. Hey sir, don't need anything. Just checking in, letting you know, everything's going great on this end. It doesn't take much. Yeah. It's just a little ping, you know, to, to reach out to somebody. So yeah, I, I, to correct my, to self-correct. Yeah, if, if you need to do an outlook, but here's the thing. I, I've seen folks go to the extreme where literally the emails are scripted. Yeah. And um, it's got to be authentic because right. it's the Air Force tried to do this forced mentorship program a few years ago and it failed miserably because it's inauthentic. Mm. And <clears throat> you've got to be real and you've got to be authentic. And the mentors that I've mentioned today, um, or in talking to you are folks that I have talked to my prof- professional challenges, my personal challenges. Yeah. These are authentic relationships. One of them, when I needed, was going through, you know, a rough patch in life is like, Hey, you're staying with me. Come over, mm. opened up his home and was like, Hey, I'm not Colonel. So-and-so now I'm just X first name. Let's talk. Yeah. And so those are the people that are there. So you had you. a, you, that foundation part then going back to that is super important because you establish a genuine relationship with that person beyond Absolutely. the professional piece. A- Absolutely. And and again, it's back to my discussion about the light eye guys. I would be the light eye team, I would be having scotch and cigar with the owners, regardless if I wasn't a business partner with them. So because we have a foundation of a relationship already. Yeah. Could could you could you have a mentor, you know, co collaborator ally relationship with someone who you don't like or who you sparred with and and you guys have been on the opposite sides uh, crossing swords with each other anything like that yeah how how, how is that different than the than um, the personal the ones where you have a friendship with the person yeah i you know i, I kind of thinking about if i disagree i think you you know cs lewis wrote a book years and years and years ago called mere christianity yeah and um you know if all the religions you know the God-based religions could focus on the 90% that we agree on and quit arguing about the 10% we disagree on, we could actually change the world. Mm. <clears throat> I would have the same viewpoint. This, I use the same argument on mere politics or mere relationships, whatever you want to call it. I would like to focus on the 90% that we agree with. Mm. And let's just agree to disagree on the 10% we don't mm. agree with. Yeah, And then let's focus on exploiting that 90% that we can do together. And whether it's business and it's a financial return or if it's a nonprofit through uh, you know, my fraternity, we're doing some fraternal work, 
then we can do that. And we can, we, let's just table that 10%. We'll get back to that. Maybe never. Um, but it doesn't matter as long as we can continue to make and chalk up all these wins focusing on the 90%. Last question in the networking, because I think this is really good. So now we've got establish a foundation, uh, have periodic contact. I think you said this, um, but I'll specify when you think of somebody ping them yep. uh, irregularly. Also try to do major events like birthdays or retirements or anniversaries, try to hit them up so you can kind of stay top of mind, so to speak, and 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 invest in them and what they like. And even with people who you don't like, make sure that you just focus on the 90% that, um, that the two of you agree. Um, at what point do you turn it into like something that you need? Like how do you transition to the to from just connecting that person to asking them for something? I, I think it, it comes out, uh, again, unscripted and, and natural. Um, when you, you know, Harvey McKay wrote that book, dig your well before you're thirsty. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how many people can you, can you call at two o'clock in the morning to write you a $5,000 check? Yeah. You know, it was 50,000 actually in the book. Was it 50,000? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you can't, you can't start that at one o'clock in the morning when you right. need it. So it's having an entire portfolio of, of, of relationships, not thinking cause you need it. It's just there. But once you have it, you know, there are certain people in my, in my phone, I don't know how many thousands of people I have in my phone that I'll probably never talk to, mm. but you don't know at the time when you first meet them, whether you're going to have a long-term or a short-term relationship. Right. And so you get them there, you exchange information, you ping people, and <clears throat> I'm not as good at it, but I go through kind of these little sine wave ups and downs of, of you know, I'll get out there and just a quick line of, hey, thinking about your brother, praying all is well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's good? Give me an update. Hmm. And uh, so I typically use that when, you know, lower ranking folks to me, I wouldn't, you know, email a general or whatever. What's good. Right. Um, right. But what's um, good, sir, <laughs> sir, ma'am. Um, but no, so it's, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, I, I'm not into the scripted nature of it and I keep foot stomping that, but it's, I think the real thing is authentic, authenticity. Yeah. And, and that's where you've got to have it. And so, you know, I ping them when they come, they cross my mind. But we're transitioning so, to when you need something. As long as you're in, you know, you've got a, a relationship. Uh, what I hate to do is call you TQ, call anybody that only when I need something. Yeah. You know what I mean? We've all had those friends where your phone goes off. Maybe it's a family member and you're like, oh, crap. Here yeah, here. right, right. You know, um, and, and it's often because those folks, have they only call when they need something. Right. So as long as you have cultivated a habit of reaching out and checking on them and sewing into them, it's okay to call somebody when you need. And so then what I typically will ask if I, you know, call, let's call it John, you know, just generic dude, John. Uh, if I call John, I, I've already had a one. I've got a fundamental foundational relationship with John. I've pinged John over the years and now I need something. Yeah. Um, then I would just ping him and say, Hey John, need five minutes when you get the opportunity. Right. And, um, and, uh, and, and I will say, Hey, need a favorite topic X. And, uh, I typically would do that cause I absolutely hate when people are like, Hey, I absolutely got to talk to you right. on Sunday, on you Sunday. No clue what it's about. No clue context. And so I literally respond topic question mark. Yeah. And, uh, cause then I can prep and I know what's going on. Right. Um, so Hey, need to talk five minutes on X. 
And so one of the things that I've learned over the, the area, and this may be a tip for folks, is instead of just saying, John, can you do this? Right. I typically say, John, who do you know right. that can help me solve X? Right. Now, one of the people, what often happens, John will say, I do that. Right. Yeah. You know, because he knows himself and he's in that pool of people he knows. Um, or he's going to say, hey, I know this, but I also know some so-and-so. Right. Let me connect you to this person. Yeah. And so that phrase, you know, can you or anybody you know help me do X? That has helped me more in my life than than the law allows. Yeah. And I think, too, like one subtle thing about it is it takes direct pressure off of that person to feel like they got to come through for you both Correct. because some people are just uncomfortable with being asked questions like that directly, which is cool. Different people are different, but also some people don't want to feel like they're letting you down if they don't do it themselves. Yeah. So it would scratch your itch them individually. So if you make it like, Hey, who do you know? Then, then that gives them the freedom to put somebody, put it off on somebody else and not feel bad about it. And, and also that opens yeah. up sometimes the, the desire, like you said, for them to try to take care of it themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And can I, can I jump in and say one thing about the sure. authenticity? Yeah. One of the reasons I think I'm so passionate about it and just this individual just popped into my mind. Um, I, I don't know what I had done if I had written an article or something, but <clears throat> a, a friend of a friend connects me to, to this young lady and uh, she shoots me a note and I say, yeah, let's set up some time to talk. And she calls me and was like, look, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. It goes on to this long thing uh, of who she is, literally into the half hour point. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and she was like, and then I read your article and this and that, and you're somebody I need to know. Yeah. Now, nothing in there, in that discussion to which I capped it about 45 minutes. Right. <laughs> was there anything about me? Right. About Jamie. Or about about anybody other than her. Right. And so to me, it was like, I'm going to hear this person out because she's a referral of a friend. Right. But do you, how many times do you think I've picked up my phone to call that individual back? Right. And that I chalk up in what not to do. Mm. You know, it's, it's, you don't, you don't make it about you because it's inauthentic. It's selfish. It's, it's not, I mean, there's, there's enough of that going around that I don't have the energy or inclination to deal with it. Right. Um, and now, most people you, who are going to be good mentors are of that same mind. Oh, absolutely. So here, here's another thing. And you know, people will call me and say, Hey, I'd like to get mentored by you and things like that. I will, <clears throat> I typically will say, all right, you know, Hey, I need you to go check out this book and give me a call. Now over the time, how many times in 20 plus years, TQ, do you think somebody has actually read the book that I gave them and come back to me? A couple handfuls. Two. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Two. One of them, I, I love him to death, Randy Gibbs. I mean, you know, doing big things in the political scene out in Atlanta. Uh, young Academy grad came up to me at a conference. Hey, you know, the whoopty whoop. Somebody told me I should talk to you. Hey, here's the deal. Before we talk, check out these two books. da 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 and it's, it's yes, is a test to see who's serious. Right. And, um, two, it's, again, it's management of my time and, and my energy. Mm. And, um, so literally like a week later, Randy calls me and is like, yo, I'm, I've read the books. Right. Right. 
And, and now like, what can you do? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm almost speechless because I'm like, whoa, I guess we got to talk now. <laughs> um, but no, but I mean, the kid again, no disrespect to Randy because he's amazing. Uh, just younger than me. The kid's amazing. And, and I will never forget that story because Randy, Randy earned the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I could be doing anything from my business to at the time of my military career, to my family, to watching the paint on my walls dry. I could right. be doing anything with my time. But this kid put in the work. Mm -hmm. So I have no choice in my mind than to sit there and do anything and or support him in any way possible. Well, he communicated something to you that he was interested. Absolutely. So that's right. awesome. Well, let me yeah. let me move on to a couple more questions and then um, we'll close it out. Uh, one of the important questions I want to know is, have you, um, with such an amazing career, have you had to deal with discrimination or bias in any way during the course of your career? You know, interestingly, <clears throat> I, I am, I am one of the, uh, few that, that, that uh, of us, uh, minorities that, uh, will say that I, I, I haven't seen, you know, in my face for the most part. Um, a lot of that is the strong mentors and minority mentors that have been in my life that have kind of guided me and, and, pulled me in certain directions. Um, but interestingly enough, I mentioned earlier growing up on a military installation and, uh, I mean, blacks, whites, Hispanics didn't matter. We're all, I didn't see an ounce of discrimination, racism or anything, uh, cause we were all one team and we we're all good friends. <clears throat> it wasn't until I went to the air force Academy and specifically at the prep school mm -hmm. that I was called the N word for the first time, mm. you know, and I remember the guy's name to this day. And, uh, Glad to say that he didn't make it through uh, the academy. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have anything to do with that. But uh, revenge, um, much? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bitter, anybody? Um, but uh, it wasn't until I got there, and then you realize that a lot of these folks didn't didn't. Where I met blacks that had never interacted with whites much, and mm. I met whites that had never interacted with blacks much. Right, and. Um, so that's where I saw it. Now, don't get me wrong. Jamie Rohn has just been blessed. It's there. Right. Um, you know, when I think back to Martin Luther King, you know, and, and the marches and, and, you know, coming over the bridge, you know, that movie in the movie Selma, yeah. when they're coming down and that young little, you know, it's the father and the son saying, inward, go home, inward, go home. That kid is now in his late 60s or early 70s. Right. And in his defense, and I don't want to defend the indefensible, but he learned that from his dad. Right. That that was okay. That guy is now 65, 70 years old with those same screwed up mindset mentality. And they're running corporations. They Yes, we've had them. The military is good and has been leading the way in a lot of diversity efforts through, over the years. Um, but they're still there. The bigots are still there. Um, so while they haven't necessarily that I know directly impacted Jamie Rohn's career, I have seen them in action and know that they exist. Right. And some of them, unfortunately, look a heck of a lot like us. Mm. And that's what do you the, mean that's by the that? hardest. African-Americans that are in a way biased against our own selves. I'm mm. just, you almost want to scream, get out. Right. You know, and um, where I don't want to overly look at, you know, one, one told another African-American officer, hey, I want to, you're the best guy in my unit, but I can't say that because they're going to think that I'm only giving you this number one stratification because you're a black guy. Right. You know what I mean? If so, I'm number one, I'm number one. Number one is number one. 
and 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 that's the thing. So um, I have been extremely fortunate for folks, black, white, male, female, whatever, to give me an opportunity. And when I was in squadron officer school, which is our captain's level course, the Tuskegee Airmen came out. Oh, wow. And uh, they talked, and I will never forget, they said the only thing we asked for was an opportunity. Yeah. An opportunity to show that we were capable of being successful pilots. Now, if we failed at that, then we failed at it. You know, if we couldn't make the cut, then we couldn't make the cut. Right. But we wanted the opportunity to prove. And they went on, the Red Tails went on in 99th Pursuit Squadron, you know, to make history and even have those bigoted uh, white pilots at the time wanting them, those Red Tails, to fly them and escort them into battle because they wanted to live and go home to see their family. They wanted the best. They wanted the best. So I have been very fortunate, just like, you know, the Tuskegee Airmen story and, you know, the Red Tails, to have folks put me in position. I was fortunate enough to make some good plays and get a reputation of making plays and folks saying, I want Rhino on my team. Right. So with that, it was able, I, I, I can't give you an example of, yeah, this one held me back because of this, this and that. You know, as you mentioned, I mean, I was got to be a, a group commander at the Air Force Academy, you know, and so I have been and I acknowledge that everybody's path is not like mine. Right. And um, so so I can't sit back and say, well, hey, I didn't have it never happened to me. So it doesn't exist. Oh, no, it absolutely exists. It's just uh, I was fortunate enough not to, you know, to avoid those landmines. And um, but I know it's out there. Not only is it out there for uh, just minorities in general, uh, the collective brown people, but it's also out there for women, you know, and, and you get a brown woman and now you got to double strike against you right. in, in some circles. Yeah. And it's even harder. So I have seen it to absolutely no doubt. Um, but I can say only attributable to the grace of God. I have, I cannot give you a certain example to say I was held back, um, by this, but part of that, let also, me, let me ask you it this okay. way. Um, if there are obstacles, so if you've seen it, what are some obstacles that you think you would remove that are there so that other people would not have to face some of those challenges? I think it comes back to the the relational side is a lot oftentimes in the military, people will seek mentors in their chain of command, right? And so one of my, as a you know, quick side story, my dad is a, as a senior NCO, non-commissioned officer back in the, in the sixties, there were, there were very few black officers. Right. So they started mentoring these black officers and, uh, general Bonaparte being one of them. Hmm. So by the time my brother and I graduated college and were young officers, some of those mentors that those lieutenants that my dad mentored were now colonels. Wow. And so they pulled us aside and mentored us outside of my chain of command. One of them wrote one of my uh, performance evaluations. Wow. And um, so seeking mentors outside of your chain, ideally your chain of command, their job is to mentor, coach, and lead you. If they are failing, if they are holding you back, you must seek mentorship, guidance, coaching outside of your chain. And that's where the, you know, the Yaron Ruse of the world, you know, up and comers, the, um, uh, Colonel Rod or now General Rod Lewis's of the world seek those guys out uh, that are in your career field and you know insert names of whatever organization you're a part of if you're not military. But so you try to you would a, try to create a, a situation where more minorities could have good mentors in order that they don't have to face a lot of the the, the bias that exists out there. 
Well, well, one minor minor twing to that. I don't know that you can influence the bias because you got to control what you can control. What you that that mentorship that I'm speaking of, it will help you navigate through that bias. Right. Because you're not going to change that idiot from being an idiot. That's right. their choice. That's within their mind. What you control is how you navigate and approach that bias. And by having a mentor, especially at a senior rank uh, outside of your chain, they can one give you good advice or two, depending upon the situation, influence, you know, the person imparting bias on you. Mm. So that's, that's pretty cool, man. I, I think mentors are really important. And if they could get around it, navigating it is, is necessary because it's in the air rather than trying to avoid it. Um, now on to the question I really like to ask so we can have some specific ways for people to impart some knowledge. What are three books that you would give as a gift? All right. <clears throat> So the number one one, the number one book that I give as a gift um, will sound weird, but it's the Bible. Mm. And it's not just any Bible. It's the John Maxwell Leadership Bible. Okay. And uh, what it is, is the New King James Bible. But you know, we have the little, in some Bibles, they have the, uh, you know, where the explanatory sections, little call out boxes on the side to say, hey, what really, what Paul was really doing here. They will, John Maxwell does a masterful job of saying the leadership lesson here is blah, 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 blah. And so-and-so in the Bible failed to develop his people or, you know, Moses was leading his people and he instituted the vision, you know, so he focuses on leadership. And um, so almost every other page or not even every other page, there's a little call out box on relating the story back to leadership. And then there are call out pages where it literally takes the story and translates it to the perspective of a organizational leader. Hmm. So that thing I absolutely love. And I've given that it was given to me, uh, by Colonel Kenny Weldon, another 85, 86 Academy grad, uh, my former commander. And, um, uh, I've given it to get as gifts to other leaders over the years. So nice. that's number one. Um, you talk about relationships and the charmer side of, of me. Uh, one of the early books that I read when I was at the prep school was Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people. Hmm. And, uh, it literally talks about, you know, how people fail when they go out and you start talking and introduce yourselves and start talking about yourself. When you focus on yourself, you're going to lose in the relationship game. When you focus on others and investing in other people with your time, your interest and whatnot, um, it's it's immensely productive and the returns are amazing. Um, the final one from the entrepreneurial side for me is the E Myth by M- Michael Gerber, and it's an old school classic. I think written back in the in the mid eighties, hmm. uh, but really talks about you know how do you take a a small business, let's say a bakery company, and right. transition that bakery company into a or that bakery you know you're baking cupcakes. How do you you know franchise that in a way? And reproduce it over and over. And how do you make your business systematic so that you are working on you're working on your business, not in your business? And so he literally talks about in any business, regardless of where you are, not necessarily that you're going to franchise, but that you need to be thinking about how can you remove yourself and make everything as systematic as possible. So those are the three: uh, John Maxwell's Leadership Bible, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and the E Myth by Michael Gerber. You are you went old school, like the Bible is like I, super I old school. But those other two are good classics. The, I, I good love. Classics. I've read uh, all of those, and I think they're they're great, great books, man. 
Um, what do you do for fun? And do you have any guilty pleasures? <laughs> um, for fun. Um, Kara and I, my wife Kara and I, uh, have found this place called Deep Creek Lake. Okay. And a uh, matter of fact, we, it's up in Maryland. Uh, it's a huge man-made lake. Um, and uh, we... We go up there as our getaway, and the beauty is God is good. Um, most of them are, our cell phones don't work up there. Hmm. And so we literally, uh, Steve Candace Pipes, my brother and sister-in-law, and I just, and, and my family spent the weekend up there, went out, got a boat, and went out boating, and uh, which is a new thing. I didn't grow up boating, you know, but just rent a boat and get out and do it. Um, so that's one thing, and getaways. One of the beauties of my life, for the second part of that is when my, I, I can pretty much work anywhere I can get a internet signal. Yeah. So as my wife travels with her job, um, there are times where I will just go to wherever she is and find a Starbucks, find a hotel room, and, you know, again, anywhere with internet connection and I'm working. So I will travel, uh, doing a lot more traveling than I ever have. And, um, so now guilty pleasures. Um, I don't know that I, Re ask that question in a slightly different way so I can understand it. Yeah, no, like just what are some other like some people, you know, play a lot of video games or maybe uh, maybe s s like for you, maybe like I know you have a motorcycle. I know you like riding your motorcycle. Yeah. yeah. Um you know, stuff okay, like that. Okay, now I'm with you. Now I'm with you. Okay. I, ain't, um, I ain't asking, do you like, you know, take lizards and slap them up against the wall or anything yeah, like that? Like, no. Nah, so nah. you're trying to get me in trouble. Yeah, no. Nah, uh, just nah. any, any kind of things uh, you do for fun. Like, for me, for example, um, I like, I like really like binge watching Saturday Night Live clips. You know, like, right. I can watch Keenan clips. I've watched the clip of him playing LeVar Ball. There's like two clips of him doing that. <laughs> it's hilarious, bro. I've watched that so yeah. many times, but you know, I wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't just put that on a, on a Facebook post necessarily. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm with you. So interestingly enough, and I, I think Kara would agree. Um, a friend of ours said, I think Jamie is living his best life right now. So <laughs> part of that is what I do every day. I would do, I, I love this game. And I am so passionate about it. But now, every once in a while, like yesterday, the stress game, it, it's just busy, busy, busy season. So literally, I went, got on my bike and did about a motorcycle and did about a two-hour ride. Mm. And um, so that, uh, you know, my mom hated the fact that I got the motorcycle, but she realizes that is the only time that Jamie is not on his phones, that Jamie is not doing 8,000 different things. Right. Now, she doesn't realize that now I have a Bluetooth in my helmet so I can take calls on the, on the bike. <laughs> but, but generally speaking, I am disconnected from the world, from everything. And uh, yesterday was just amazing two hours of not even listening to anything and just thinking. Yeah. And just taking, and then, and also not thinking. So between getting out on my bike and just, you know, having some me time to I'm looking over in my off home office to my humidor to get a nice cigar from time to time. I think those are probably the primary ones there you go. outside of that. Outside of that, I'm just back on the grind. Understood. Uh, well, where can people find you online? Yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, LinkedIn, you know, Jamie Roan, um, Facebook, uh, you, you forced me back into the Facebook world. And <laughs> so it's, it's McClinton Roan, uh, which is my middle name, uh, McClinton Roan, uh, Twitter, 
uh, at McClinton and Roy, uh, Facebook at McClinton and Roy are our, uh, company sites. And, uh, you know, and as, as always, if there's somebody, you know, in your listening audience that has any desire to reach out for me, the answer is yes. If it's coming from, from you and, uh, you know, just them reaching out to you or, you know, direct messaging me on any of the platforms, we'll get all that to you for the show notes. But, um, and just yeah, make sure they, they're ready to read two books if they want to talk to you. i kind of gave gave my 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 test right but um but no all good but i mean i i do spend a handful of time i I did probably two or three this week uh with folks who are just hey i heard you're in this business can we talk and the answer is yes we just figure out the right time um and so i just ask that people are respectful of my time and and come you know prepared to let's have that discussion and uh we that ends up going into you know that foundational relationship building of how can i help and let's talk through this together right and so um so yeah all those things i'm active on social media instagram and all that kind of stuff so uh you know i'd be happy for folks to to reach out and happy to help any way that i can jamie it's been a pleasure man and my guest today has been jamie roan jamie thanks for being on breaking the glass today Thank you, brother, and God bless you all. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Google Play. 